15-year-old Therese Johansson Rojo, also called Tess, is found dead in a wooded area close to where a party had taken place. The perpetrator turns out to be a 16-year-old boy, but he is not the only one who gets convicted for this murder. His 16-year-old girlfriend was also involved, and she is convicted for a conspiracy to commit murder. How could it go this far? How could two normal, well-liked teenagers from stable homes commit a murder? Hi, and welcome back to True Crime Sweden. I am your host, Pernilla. Thank you so much for listening, and a big thank you to those who reached out to me on Instagram or Twitter with kind words and support. That means so much to me. Thank you. You can reach me at truecrimesweden at gmail.com or on Twitter or Instagram. I also started a Facebook group where we can discuss the cases and you can let me know your opinion on the cases and ask me questions if you have any. Just ask to be entered. I will approve everyone. Well, enough of the business. Oh, just one more thing. This is a case that I think you can let your teenagers listen to and then have a discussion with them about it. A lot of things happen in your body and in your mind when you're a teenager. Emotions are running wild, and you think you have the answer to everything. But after hearing this case, you are going to be even more aware of how totally wrong the reasoning of a 16-year-old mind can be. I also want to point out that there is some cursing in this episode. You are going to hear a lot of the texts going back and forth between the two perpetrators, and they could contain some cursing. But I guess if you're able to listen to a podcast about true crimes and murders, you can probably accept some cursing as well. But now you're warned. Okay, let's get into it. Therese Johansson Rojo was born on June 17, 1993, to parents Vibeke Johansson and Raimundo Rojo. She also had a three-year older brother named Tim. She was, as any other 15-year-old, hanging out with her friends, planning for the upcoming prom, just enjoying life. She's described by her friends as fun to be with, caring, loving, and always with a big smile on her face. She was also obsessed with the Twilight movies. Her friends all referred to her as Tess, so I'm going to call her Tess throughout this episode as well. Tess was about to finish ninth grade in Kunskapsskolan, if you translate that as like 
Norwich, Norwich School. This is a private school in Enschede, just outside of Stockholm city. In Sweden, you always change schools after ninth grade. So she was really looking forward to graduating from the school and to the long summer break. She had been dating this guy, Gordon, for a few months. But now they had broken it off, but they were still friends and were hanging in the same crowd. But he comes to play a small role in this as well, so remember his name. And in their circle of friends, there's another couple that is going to be really interesting for the case. I've changed their names due to their young age. I'm going to call them John and Julie. John was a really popular guy, good-looking, played soccer, and had a lot of friends. And you can say about the same thing about Julie, except for the soccer. Instead, she was really invested in the local church. John and Julie had been going out for about two years, from 2007 until 2009. During those two years, they had been on and off a couple of times. Remember, they're only 14 years old when they started dating. They actually got engaged on their one-year anniversary. But in the spring of 2009, there had been some incidents that made the relationship really shaky. As I said, they had broken up a few times during the relationship. On the first break, they themselves called it a pause. They were not really broken off, but they decided not to see each other for a while. During this break, John met another girl. He really started to like this other girl, and this made Julie panic. According to her own statement, she was so afraid of losing John so she actually went down on her knees begged and begged him to break it off with this other girl and to take her back. He of course did, and they were now an item once again. At this time, John had the upper hand in the relationship, and he was still hanging a lot with his friends, and he attended parties, and he was drinking every now and then, like any other teenager would. But about six months later, John and Julie took another break, and this time it was Julie that had a fling with another guy. The tables were now turned. This time it was John who begged for her to take him back, but she agreed. But after this, the relationship really changed. As I mentioned earlier, John liked to attend parties and had been drinking every now and then, but Julie really disliked this, so she now made him promise not to drink again. She also didn't like him hanging with his friends, and when he wanted to anyway, she tagged along to keep track of him. She was becoming very controlling at this point, saying that she couldn't trust him and calling him and texting him all the time. He was jealous as well, and he also checked up on her, so it went both ways, I guess. One of John's friends later t tells the police about a thing that really bothered him. 
This was on a weekend when Julie was out of town with her parents and John was hanging out with his friends. All of a sudden, John says that he had to go home because he had to call Julie in 10 minutes. The friend then took his cell phone out of his pocket and gave it to John with the word, you can call her from my phone. And then John replied that I have to call her from the house phone, otherwise you will know that I'm being out. That kind of tells you how much she was controlling his life. The friends around them later testified that John and Julie's relationship wasn't healthy at all. She was very controlling and jealous, and since she almost always tagged along when he was meeting his friends, the friends eventually stopped calling him. They said that he was not being himself when she was around, and they didn't really care for her at all. They then got engaged at their one-year anniversary, as I mentioned before, but they continued controlling each other, and they fought a lot. And in the spring of 2009, the incident that is the reason for this whole case occurred. It was on April 30th. This is what we in Sweden call Valborg. A short side note here. Valborg is celebrated each year on April 30th. It's a really old tradition, but it's still active. People light up enormous bonfires and sing songs to welcome the spring and summer. Since the day after Valborg, May 1st, always is a day off, people often party on Valborg. This is also one of the weekends in the year when teenagers might have their first encounter with uh, alcohol. So on this year's Valborg celebration, John was attending a party with his friends. Julie was not there. She was away with her parents. And on this party, he met Tess. They knew each other before this, as they attended the same school. Tess had broken off the relationship with Gordon a couple of months before this, and she was not seeing anyone at this time. Both John and Tess had been drinking, and this somehow led up to them kissing that night. Tess was aware of the fact that John was involved with Julie, but she explained to her friends later that the kiss just happened. As it is, the weeks go by, and on May 13th, the day after Julie's 16th birthday. The rumor about the kiss reaches her. John explains it away, saying that it never happened. John calls her several times that day, and he also sends a text that reads, I can't believe you're doing this. How can you be so fucking mean? How can you be so fucking stupid that you believe a fucking rumor over my word? Are you satisfied now? Are you satisfied that you ruined my life? Yes, you are trying to get revenge all the fucking time. This text is sent on May 13th at 10 minutes past 10 at night. And about 20 minutes later, he sends the following text. And just to make this understandable, in the first part of the text, he starts out with quoting one of her texts that he received from her. This is what is said. Sorry I'm being weird today. I know it myself. Forgive me, very sweetest darling. You mean everything. 
That was from her text, and then he continues. You wrote this today. Didn't you mean any of it? Nothing has changed in this since this afternoon, except that you heard a rumor. You told me yourself never to believe rumors. I was so damn happy when I received that text from you, and everything immediately felt better. You are my everything, and without you, I'm going to kill myself. And then, after ten minutes, he writes, I'll never be complete without you. You might think that I had it coming, but you don't understand how much you hurt me all the time, because you're too busy with all your own problems. And then he continues, And besides that, it's fucking hard when you say that you don't want to date someone like me, but I really don't know what I do wrong. How would you feel if I would believe the rumor about you and Gordon and then break up with you and you wouldn't know what you did wrong? So apparently there was a rumor about Julie making out with this Gordon guy while she was still dating John. You remember I told you about Gordon earlier? He was the guy that Tess had a relationship with. And as it turns out later in the investigation, Julie had something going on with Gordon when she was still seeing John. He continues to text her that night, and I don't think that she replies. She might have replied at some point, but the police have no records of that. But this is what he texts her next. And about my aggression problems, I can only say that I've always been like this. I have a hard time thinking that it will change. Sure, I'm influenced by my friends, but what the hell should I do? I can't stop seeing all of my friends. You know how hard it is to find new ones. And he continues. Without you, I don't want to live. I can't live without you. I'm going to die if I'm not with you. And the next one reads. If you told me exactly what I'm doing wrong, I will change it immediately. Because you own my whole heart and my life is in your hands. Between this text and the next one, he tries to call her, but she doesn't answer. The next text reads, Julie, I want to talk to you. I'm so fucking sad. I'm going to kill myself. And then he sends this. Julie, answer. I can't live without you. And two minutes later, at 11.53 p.m., he sends this. Please, just answer the phone. I don't want to live anymore if this is continuing. I'll quit the soccer team. I throw away all my brand clothes. I will almost stop hanging with my friends. I want to be the one that you fell in love with. And be the one that makes you love me the most. This is the fucking goal of my whole life. To be together with you for as long as possible and make you love me as much as possible. I want to grow up with you, live with you, buy a house with you. Ten minutes later, he texts her again, after both talking to her and trying to call her several times more. It says, Stop rejecting my calls. You were the one who said that we had so much to talk about. You hardly said anything. And then you called Jesse and talk shit about me so that I will hear it. I really don't have anything if I don't have you. That is why I can devote my whole life to you. You are really the only reason for my life. I know that I have become a bad person, 
but I really don't know what to do about it. At this point, I feel that I have no reason to live. There is no point with my life, so why should I continue living? I want you to answer one thing. Will it ever be you and me again? Did you do all this because you were pissed? I don't know what to do or say, but I will do anything to get you back. Between this text and the next one, they actually speak for nine minutes. And the text after the call says, Julie, I beg you, if you take me back, I promise that you will love me the way you did once. I will be there for you more than ever. If you forgive me for what I've done and how I've become lately, I will promise to make you happy again. I feel so bad right now. I don't know what to do. I could kill to get you back. I mean it. I could kill almost anyone. Without you, I'm dying myself. I love you more than anything. I love you so fucking much that you can't even understand. You are my whole life and my joy. I would die for you. I'm stuck. I will never be able to love someone else. I will never be able to stop thinking about you. You are the most beautiful and wonderful person on this earth. And I want nothing else than to call you mine. It has to be you. It is you. You are the one I'm going to marry. And the one I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I know you. It's always going to be us. The text you just heard is going to be important throughout this case. When he says, I could kill to get you back. I mean it. I could kill almost anyone. This is the first time the subject of killing anyone is ever brought up. I wouldn't read too much into it. I guess it might be something a person says in the heat of a moment, not really planning to have to act on it. The day after, on May 14th, Julie is again told by someone in school that the kiss did happen. The person telling her this says that she heard it from one of Tess's friends and that she knows that it's true. This makes Julie freak out. She runs around the school building trying to find John. And when she finds him, she starts banging her hands on his chest and screaming that he's a liar and cheater. John then grabs her arms to make her stop beating him. And when her arms are locked, she throws her head right into his face, causing him a nosebleed and a chopped tooth. In the media, it's described a little different. Media says that she walked up to him and gave him a headbutt. I hope that's the correct term for, the, for when a person throws their head right into someone's face. Let me know if it's called something else. I believe in the UK it's called the Glasgow Kiss. And here in Sweden we call it Dansk Skalle, which translates to Danish head. And the reason for this name comes from way back when Sweden and Denmark were fighting. And the Swedish soldiers saw the Danish soldiers using this method in fights. And if you wonder, we're all good now. Denmark got to keep the island of Bornholm after the war. 
but the people living there speak more Swedish than Danish, still to this day. I love Denmark, and my two daughters, they're half Danish. Enough of the history lesson, and back to the case. After the fight, Julie ran out of the school and down to the train tracks. John ran after her. She was screaming that she was going to jump in front of a train and kill herself, and he did the best he could to calm her down. She suffers a massive panic attack there on the train station, and her parents are called in to come and pick her up. That night, he texts her a few times, asking her to pick up his calls. He continues to tell her how much he loves her, but she doesn't reply. Not until the next morning, at about 9.15, she sends the following text. No, John, I cannot forgive you for what you have done. You are evil, all the way through. I can never trust you again. You will never change. You are a prick, and I have finally understood that. I am so glad that this happened. Now I know who you are. You cannot say it wasn't you, because it was, and you know it. It was and is as much you as it can be. You're awful, and I have realized that now. It's a shame that I wasted such a big part of my life on you. But I'm glad that this happened so that I finally can see who you really are. And now it's over. You will never be happy again, no matter how much you try. I feel sorry for the person who becomes your next victim. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to search for happiness and love. Because I know that it's out there. I'm not going to die alone. That's more than I can say about you. You don't mean anything to me anymore, I swear. It's the truth. You are no longer in my life or in my heart. Take off your ring and don't wear it ever again. It's over now. You destroyed it. Again. About five minutes later, he answers. No, Julie. We are not going to do this via texts. I can fix this, I know that. You gave me a new chance yesterday, and that made me so happy. I promise that I can fix everything. Just give me a chance. You said yesterday that you didn't regret that you gave me another chance. I promise to change and to fix this. Please give me another chance. It seems like they met in person after this. And then there are some texts that are mostly like, are you here soon, hi, what are you doing, I miss you, and so on. But something must have happened at some point, because at 11.25 a.m. the next day, Julie sends the following text to John. Don't forget that you're worthless, worthless, and badly liked for who you are, you fucking pig. And about 40 minutes later, she texts him again, and this time she's saying, Why don't you answer, you fucking creep? I have an idea. You have already cheated on me with that disgusting moron, and I know who you can pick up the next time. And then she names another girl, but I'm not going to 
save that name here. And then she continues, You two are one of a kind, both ugly and disgusting. He answers her about 15 minutes later. I'm in church. To which she replies, Creep, 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 all in caps. He then texts, Okay. She replies again with, in all caps, Creep. And about an hour after she sent this text, she sends him another. Why don't you reply, you fucking pussy? He answers, because I'm still in church. And her reply, yeah, sure, I believe that you're still in church. I just want to know who you're boning now. And a little side note here. He was uh, reading for his confirmation that was only a week away. So that was the reason why he spent so much time in church. They talk on the phone at about three in the afternoon that day. And then nothing until she texts him at about seven the same night. She says, we're playing a game. He replies, sounds fun. What kind of a game? To which she says, me and, and then she names two of his male friends. Me and, <laughs> are touching each other. And then you're supposed to say, nice dick or nice pussy. He doesn't reply to this. So her next text comes after about 15 more minutes, as, and it says, You're fucking quiet now, huh? You fucking pussy. He then replies, You're only making things worse. I don't think you are going to be so happy about me being quiet when I kill myself. She replies, Kill yourself. It would be the best, because you're evil, disgusting, and worthless. He says, I don't even think you are realizing what you are writing. She says, I know exactly what I'm writing, and I mean every word of it. I don't think you understand what a terrible excuse of a human being you are, and I don't understand how you even put up with yourself. Creep. He doesn't reply to this, and about 20 minutes later, at about 8 p.m., she texts, you are so quiet. Did you kill yourself? And when she doesn't get an answer, she writes after another 10 minutes. Then I will kill myself too. And then she tries to call him, but it gets disconnected. He then tries to call her, but it also gets disconnected. She then writes, You don't keep a shit of your promises. You only care about yourself. I have to yell at you and threaten you with breaking up with you to keep you home. Even though you promised me that you wouldn't go anywhere. Fuck you. You can never promise anything. I can never trust you again. He replies, Julie, I was just returning Yalmash scooter. I'm almost home now. She replies, Aha, so that means you were out. You creep. You can forget all about me now. In my mind, what she's doing is mental terror. She's acting like an abusive spouse would. Being mean, 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 and then saying something nice to bring him back, and then keep bashing him again. I'm not saying that his per he is perfect at all, but this relationship is so very destructive. After this, they talk on the phone for a few minutes, 
And he must have made a promise to her on that call that she could call him any time and that he promised to pick up. Then he texts her at about 11.30 p.m. Did you turn off your phone? And he ends with kisses. 20 minutes later, he texts, When are you planning to turning it back on? And then he makes a heart. After another 30 minutes, he texts, I'm going to bed now. You can call me whenever you want or feel like it. If not, I'll see you tomorrow. Kisses. 15 minutes later, she texts, I guess you're not home. And when she doesn't get a reply, she texts back again after another seven minutes. Well, I thought so. Then she calls him at 1.15 a.m. He doesn't answer. She tries to call him a couple more times, and at 1.35 she texts him. You have a serious problem. And then, this should never happen. You promised me that I could call you at any time and you would answer. Now you broke yet another promise. I hope you feel good about yourself. I hate you. And he texts her back at 1.38 a.m. And this reads, I haven't broken any promise. I've been sleeping with the phone in the bed beside me to be able to answer when you wanted to reach me. But it must have been turned off somehow. Then they try to call each other a few times, but the, but the reception is too bad. So instead she sends the following texts in all caps at 1.46 a.m. It is over now, forever. You couldn't even keep a small little promise that I could call you whenever I wanted. You are so fucking worthless. I hate you. You are so ugly and disgusting. I never ever want to see you again, you fucking creep, liar, you cheating fucking pussy. Five minutes later, he calls her, and they talk for 12 minutes. And they must have been able to work things out, because the next day all the texts are normal, short conversations. The police haven't been able to retrieve all the text from the phones. Some are missing. And the things that they later tell the police about what was said on the phone or in person, we just have to believe their word for. Sometime between the fight in school on May 14th and up until May 26th, they have talked about killing Tess. She said in the trial that he was the one who suggested it. And he said that she was the one who brought it up first. Anyway, the agreement was that John was to kill Tess. It was the only way that they could continue together, according to her. So, on May 26th, he goes to the area where Tess lives. And he sits outside for five hours waiting for her. He later states to the police, that he didn't plan to kill her that day. But at another time he says that he might have done it if she would have shown up. Here is some of John's text to Julie on the afternoon of May 26th. The first one is at 3.30 p.m. Julie, please call me. 
And the next one. What are you doing? Why don't you answer? And the next one. Julie, if you don't pick up, I'm out of here. Why can't you even answer my calls when I'm doing all this for you? Five minutes later. Why, Julie? Why are you doing this? It's busy sometimes when I call, so I know you must have seen my texts. And the next one. I'm feeling panicked when you don't answer. I have nothing to do here. Please just answer and I will promise to stay here until she comes. I'm not going to be able to do this otherwise. Of course, then it only takes Yuli a few minutes to answer. And she answers, I'll call you in a minute. They then talk eight times between 4.26 p.m. and 6.08 p.m. Each call lasts about a minute or two. No activities on either phone between then and 10 p.m. that night has been recovered. But at 10.17 p.m. she texts him, Go home and don't do anything stupid. When this text is sent, her phone pings off a tower near her home. But his phone, and this is important, his phone pings off a tower near his home. Her lawyer later tries to make this text very important in the trial, claiming that she meant not to kill Tess by the phrase, go home, don't do anything stupid. But what he told the police was that he was feeling so bad about the whole situation and that he couldn't take it anymore and that he had told her that he would go and jump in front of a train and kill himself. And her reply to this was, go home, don't do anything stupid. His version agrees more with the evidence of where the phones pinged. He left the area where Tess lives at about 6.30 p.m., about four hours earlier. The next morning, Wednesday, May 27th, at about 8.30 a.m., Julie sends the following text to John, and this has been quoted in every newspaper in Sweden. She's writing, I can't stand sitting here, about three seats away from her on the subway. She has to die. Ten minutes later, she writes, Answer me. He then replies, yes, she's going to, today. They talk about 15 times this day over the phone, but no one but themselves know what was said. But he texts her at 10.50 p.m. that night, saying, I know exactly how I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask her to help me find my vodka. And then I will tell her a little story. I will tell you all about that tomorrow. And then I'm going to tell her that my back hurts. And then I take it out. It's going to be perfect when she bends down to look. I'm super psyched. Talk to you tomorrow. My alarm is set for 5.30 a.m. This incident is talked about later in the trial. It went something like this. On the morning of Thursday, May 28th, John went to the area where Tess lived, and he was standing there waiting for her to walk by on her way to the bus. 
His plan goes like this. He was going to tell her that he owed some guy some money and that they now also said that he owed them a bottle of vodka. He's then going to tell her that he hid the vodka in the woods nearby her house and ask her to help him look for it. And then he was going to grab a rock or something and hit her in the head when she bent down. He set his alarm on 5.30 and he goes to the area where she lives. He's standing there waiting for her and when she finally turns up, he asks her to help him find the vodka. At about the same time, Tessa's friend Ina spots them and she sees the bus approaching. So she yells out to Tess to hurry up and both Tess and John run towards the bus. So nothing happens that morning. Ina later tells the police that Tess was feeling so bad because she didn't have time to help John look for the vodka. It's kind of ironic, huh? The next day, Julie goes to Paris over the weekend with her family. And she gave John an ultimatum that Tess was going to be dead by the time she got home, or else they were finished. She also told him that he could not leave his house that weekend, except for when he did the killing. I'm going to end this episode here, because this is becoming really long and there's a lot more to talk about. So... You will hear everything about the Paris trip and if he were able to do the killing that weekend or not in episode 2. I hope to release both of them at the same time. So, thank you so much for listening and tune in for episode 2. Okay, thank you for today. Goodbye. Hey, Doa.